everyone, and welcome to Dragon Fruit. I'm your host, Caroline Chang, and this week we are shaking things up by moving across the United States to Maine and entering the world of climate change art and science communication. Our guest for today is Jill Pelto, a climate change artist with a background in glacier science. Her work incorporates scientific environmental data into beautiful watercolors and was featured as the cover for Time Magazine's July 2020 climate issue. Before we go any further, I would highly, highly recommend visiting her website, jillpelto.com, or her social media at jillpelto, so you can see her art for yourself and have a visual understanding of the work that she does. Now, moving forward, in this episode, we discussed topics such as her experiences doing fieldwork in Antarctica, the sharing of science through art, and remaining motivated and inspired beyond instant gratification. I am so grateful I had the opportunity to speak with Jill and I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show and have a nice little conversation with me. Um, So before we get started with questions, would you like to introduce yourself to all of the listeners? Yeah, my name is Jill Pelto. I'm a climate change artist and I live in Maine. And right now what I'm doing is making um, climate change art that is communicating important environmental topics. Awesome. So I guess we can start with your background in science, doing research and graduate work. So can you describe the type of research that you have been a part of and what the goal of your graduate thesis was about? Yeah, so I received a uh, master's of science in 2018. And the focus of my research for that project was uh, on Antarctica and specifically how the Antarctic ice sheet responds to periods of warming. So we were looking into the past and studying how much the ice sheet changed when there were periods where the the air temperature or the sea temperature was warmer in the past or the oceans were higher. And basically just investigating how how the climate change affects that like huge volume of ice. Um, And so that, yeah, that was my master's research and I finished that in 2018. Awesome. So for that type of project, what kind of data are you collecting for it? So for paleoclimate research, there are so many different types of uh, ways that you, you know, can find out what's going on in the past. And, and we are trying to approximate what the climate was like in the past. And so the term that we use for the data that we collect is usually like proxy. Like it's just the proxy just means like it's an approximation for the past. It, it tells us about what may have happened. So I think the most common one that people seem to like know about and ask me about is um, that scientists take ice cores and, um, you know, use past air bubbles trapped in ice to figure out what the, what that past like air was like and what the temperature of it was and, and other things. And so it's not, that's not what I was doing, but that's kind of an example of the, the type of uh, thing that researchers do in my field. Mm-hmm. And so what I was doing um, is a little bit strange to explain, but basically um, the Antarctic ice sheet is it covers most of the continent, but not entirely. There's these, you know, there's ma- higher mountains that stick up above the ice sheet, and so you have still like exposed, like rocky areas. Um, and so it's a little bit warmer on those exposed rocky areas that aren't covered in ice, and there can be like little melt ponds on the edge of the ice sheet. And so there can be a little bit of life in those melt ponds. Um, no, like you know, nothing big. No, like kind of fish or anything like that, but kind of like plant life, like algae and things. And so. Um, I was actually studying when the ice was higher and the lakes or the ponds that it um, abutted the edge of the ice sheet were also higher, um, there there would have been algae living. And so when the ice sheet 
retreated back down the side of the slope, those ponds would be shifting with it. And so the algae that used to live in those ponds when the ice sheet was thicker um, was left behind just kind of on the Rocky Mountain surface. And because Antarctica has such a unique climate, it's kind of like a refrigerator where it's so cold and dry that things just get preserved. So we can actually find this algae that's now ancient algae and, you know, it's dead. It's just kind of just little dry flakes of material. Um, it really looks a lot like, like fish food or something like that. And um, we're actually finding these little flakes of algae and we're dating them and able to find out like how old they are and when they were alive. And so then we know like the ice was this thick at this time. Now it's all the way down this mountainside. Um, and so that's, yeah, it's, it's a complicated process to figure out what happened in the past. And that's why there's all these different like cool and strange methods that have been developed and tested. Um, and that was, that was the method I used for my, for my research. <laughs> yeah, no, that's super cool. And <laughs> I feel like, like you were saying, most people think about ice cores. So it's interesting to hear that, you know, algae can be helped, can be preserved that well and be used to like, see how climate change affects everything. Yeah. So you went to Antarctica, which obviously is a really special experience <laughs> that most people will never have. So I guess what was that like? And yeah, just like, what was your experience out there? Yeah, uh, it was definitely incredible. I, the landscape, I mean, I, there's a lot of places I haven't been in the world, but I think that landscape struck me as feeling, I kind of felt like you were on a different planet uh, when you were kind of away from, you know, any of the kind of man-made structures that are there. Um, and I really loved my experience there and really appreciate it. Um, it'll always be like one of the, you know, most amazing times of my life. Um, I got to work down there for three different like field seasons. Um, and by that, I just mean like the research time that we go down there and like are doing our, our work. And so um, because it's such like a long trip to get down there and really expensive and you're getting grants to cover it for your research, um, you're usually down there for quite a long period of time. Um, so usually I would be gone for about like two months and that would include, you know, like traveling down there. And then when you get down to Antarctica, there's usually a lot of um, training that you have to do um, to make sure that you're going to be like safe with your team when you go out by yourself um, to make sure you have like all of the gear you need. And there's, there's some things that the Antarctic program supplies like big gear, like tents and things and food. Um, so you get, yeah, you get training and, you know, they want to make sure that you're not going to leave any impact on wherever you're working. Um, and so it's a long, it's a long trip, which is cool because you feel like you get to really kind of almost get used to life there. And um, when you originally get to the continent, you're gonna be staying at one of the bases and lots of different countries have bases down there. And so they're very, very tiny little towns, just like little research bases. And some of them they're on the rock, some of, they're on, some of them are on the ice. Um, it just depends on where you are on the continent. And, and so there you're with other people and you, know, you get to meet, meet other science teams doing their research. You get to make the staff who help run the bases. Um, but then once you're ready to go and do your research in the field, you're just going to be with your group. And my group was ranged from like four to six people, depending on the field season. So I'd be with that tiny group for, um, you know, usually about like five weeks or so. And we'd, we'd be camping. And then at that point, it would be, you know, we'd be dropped off, dropped off in a super remote site. And it would be really isolated, just like big mountains and use of the ice sheet and, and glaciers coming down the mountains. And um, just like so such a vast kind of landscape with no you know people no animals no like color 
for a little like sound even I feel like in the you know <laughs> wind maybe but so it's definitely really uh like a pretty um yeah a pretty surreal experience to get to get to work down there and that yeah I really appreciate it yeah well, that's awesome um how did you originally decide to go into this field of research I guess because when you were an undergrad you did earth science and studio art right yeah. yeah so I was doing like a little bit I was doing a bit of this when I was in an undergrad in my undergrad yeah because I was doing the double major in, in art and earth and climate science and so um I I had started to do uh field work when I was in high school actually because my dad is a glaciologist and so he studies he studies glaciers and uh that obviously exposure to that world and that research was really influential to me and um I definitely was drawn towards uh, trying to think about a way to make my career about climate change and addressing climate change as a result of that influence. And so um, after, when I was getting close to wrapping up my undergrad, I had gotten the opportunity to go do um, different types of field work throughout those years. And one of, one of those um, times was with the woman who became my master's advisor at the university. University of Maine, um, Dr. Brenda Hall. And so she as a, took me as an undergrad down with her for an Antarctic season, um, which, which was just an opportunity that I applied for and other students also applied for um, and was able to, and, and got the opportunity. And so then uh, I realized like in doing that work um, as an undergrad that I, I really loved it. And I, I, was offered the position to do the to do my master's with her as a result which was really fortunate um and so I realized that I really wanted that opportunity to do my own intensive research project and have to you know feel like you're becoming kind of an expert on this one like niche topic and um get the opportunity to really like be a part of leading something and um learning really more in depth about a topic to do with climate change. I felt like after my undergrad, I, I wasn't quite, I didn't quite have the knowledge I wanted still about right. climate science. And um, I knew that I was interested in diverging into art and science communication, but I, I had this fortunate opportunity and I, I just really wanted to take it and use it as kind of my, my background for, you know, being informed as I, as I transitioned to con- climate change communication afterwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have any advice for students who are looking to go into this type of research? Is it like, do you think meeting a professor and like seeing what their work is, is the best route to go? I think it definitely is, is definitely one really important route. Um, I think it depends. And for me, it was really helpful to just form connections with certain professors, just like, you know, the professors that I really I really clicked with that I found, you know, to be really good at teaching or mm-hmm. just um, connected with outside of the classroom or was really interested in their research or, or what have you. And I, I feel like I formed a, a few really um, important, like kind of mentor relationships, um, kind of slowly but surely throughout college with, with different professors. And, um, and that helped me because I was able to um, kind of be more aware of um, opportunities that I could apply for to do to do work and it also helped because it just gave me a better glimpse for like okay what is this professor doing for research does this interest me um, you know does this look 
like fun or something I'd like to learn about or the type of challenge I want to take on. And it just, it just helped me see the range, the range of options. Um, I think one resource I didn't really tap into, um, I didn't really think to, and I think just being a more introverted person was talking also with like graduate students, because I think they have a really good perspective on the types of research and they've had to kind of run that gauntlet. And so that would be another thing I would recommend is like, you know, just reaching out to, to a graduate student who might be doing work that is, you know, at least tangential to what you're interested in or, or a few of them. And um, I think that's another great, um, another great avenue in terms of like just getting different stories and perspectives and advice. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, so like you said before, after you were doing all of this field research, you kind of decided to go more towards the climate change communications route. So what made you decide to go into that rather than let's say academia or something? And then can you explain what your type of climate change art is? Yeah. Yeah. So first I, I think I was, I was fairly sure even in starting my master's that I wanted to diverge after into science communication rather than stay in science full-time and in academia. And I, I was clear with that about clear about that with my, my advisor, because I wanted to make sure that was fine with her. She, you know, um, that, that she wasn't like expect, didn't have an expectation. And I, I think she valued what I was trying to do with science communication and, um, and yeah, she was, she was fine with that. And so, um, I, I definitely realized while I was doing that research is like as much, as much as I loved it, I just had to feel like, well, what, what is my biggest passion? And I think if you're, you know, if you're in academia and you're doing research like that, it really does take, you know, so much of your time and energy. And I think if you, as a result, I realized like, okay, if I, if I want to pursue this, like for, for you know, my PhD or for the rest of my career it has to be something I'm extremely passionate about. And I, I loved the research and I thought it was important and interesting, but I could just tell that it wasn't where like my, my passion lay and, and having that type of research be the focus for the rest of my life. And I, and I would rather someone else have that opportunity then. Um, and so I think the master's like get, like helped me realize like okay yes this like I'll miss being in this world and and getting these sorts of opportunities but to to focus in like that takes a lot of um yeah it takes a lot of work and you have to be you know willing to commit to that and so um I liked that science communication would allow me to um kind of dabble in like lots of different types of science and like learn a lot of different types of things instead of focusing a little bit more specifically in one field. Um, yeah, so I, so I, so that experience taught me that. And it was, it was prior to my master's that I had started doing uh, my, my climate change art. And it was mm -hmm. the senior year of my undergrad when I was trying to come up with like a, a combined project that would work with both of my majors as kind of my capstone project. And I had already been for a few years kind of dabbling with making art about environmental topics just because it was something that was important to me. And I feel like art is, you know, often about expressing things that, you know, we feel an emotion about and want to share, share those emotions and strong, powerful ideas with others. Um, but my senior year, I was really pushing, uh, and trying to come up with like what my style, of, what I wanted my style of art to be and how I was going to communicate climate change. 
in my art. And so it was during that year that I came up with this idea of the art that I am still making now where I incorporate scientific data directly into it. And I think for me, it was um, kind of an, an easy transfer to make because of course, in my science classes, I was used to looking at graphs. I was used to interpreting them and making them for assignments uh, and looking at data and so I realized that just that a simple line graph that's just showing a change over time could help illustrate my point by kind of taking it out of the context of like, you know, a scientific paper or a textbook and kind of adding the emotion and the beauty and visuals of art to help tell that story. And I was trying to just share some of the important things I was learning in my classes or doing field work with my peers in the art room and saying like, hey, like, look, you know, these are things that you you know, I want you guys to be paying more attention to. I want you to know like how fast glaciers are, are melting. I want you to understand like the good and the bad things that are happening and um, to our environment and just to be, you know, a little bit more engaged and mindful about it, you know? Um, and so that was where the idea kind of sprung forward was that, that year. And so that's the style that I continue to use in my art is, you know, direct scientific data um, from, other, uh, from other people's research. Yeah. Do you feel like people are, I mean, I assume this is yes, but do you feel like people are more receptive to learning about climate change and environmental issues when it's conveyed in a medium like, like you use watercolors, right? Do you think that's, yeah, yeah, like people are more open to that versus when it's just the straight scientific data and the hard science? Yeah, I think it just, I think it just depends on the person, but I, I think that like each of those things kind of have their, you know, it's not like a, a clear boundary, but they kind of mm-hmm. have boundaries in like who they can reach and like who's going to be able to respond to them or understand them or, you know, take the time to engage with them. And so I just think my art can reach, you know, different audiences than the science sometimes can. And it, it can, it can just do things that the science can't, you know, same as the science can do things my art can't. And um, I think it's another great way to communicate this, but I think what it what it really holds that is powerful is again like just that kind of emotional story or narrative that that for some people they will connect with and um, feel feel more maybe and understand more the impact of these topics in their lives or others' lives. Um, and I, I think that 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 can be hard for some people to get from just looking at the science and the, the graphs and the science itself. Mm-hmm. How do you choose what the subject of each piece is and what kind of data you use? Yeah, I think I, um, I don't think there's like a, a clear method. I, I think I just kind of respond to the things that like I've taken in the world and yeah. read and, you know, hear about from other people and the, the things that they experience with climate change. And so it's just, you know, there's endless topics that I could choose. And uh, I think I've, I've kind of always kind of settled on ideas naturally. Like um, I always kind of have like different ideas in my head kind of going about what I might want to do for upcoming projects. And um, there's always, you know, I've always have so many more ideas than I can actually implement. And so once I have, um, once I have something in mind, I uh, can then like, you know, research it further and, and and think about what, what kind of data is out there that connect, connect with that topic and um, help me tell that story. Um, 
And then sometimes, not the beginning, but now I'm also doing um, some commission work. Mm-hmm. And um, it's usually, um, it depends, you know, sometimes it's an individual, but it's also been for research groups. And so, you know, that is then going to be painting, pa- paintings about their research, what they're doing and like, you know, why it matters and things. So, so then that's, you know, someone being like, hey, this is my research. Like, I want you to help communicate it. Like, this is what it's going to be. And I have a lot of flexibility, but, um, but like kind of the topic and frame of it, you know, is, Mm -hmm, right. It's being helped. Yeah. Helped told to me. That's kind of cool though, that people who are doing research will reach out to you to make their science easier to communicate and everything. That's super awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely something I'm hoping to kind of pursue throughout my career and give me like, give me the opportunity to still be involved sometimes in science projects and like learn, learn different fields and, and learn and get to, you know, maybe sometimes do field work or, or travel that gets me to, you know, do research again. And, you know, even if it's in a different role. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that, like opportunity that's just been starting for me. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, so when I heard you speak at, during my class, you were talking about how there aren't usually people in your pieces. Is there a reason for that? Or is that just something that happened as you were developing your style and just developing your work over time? You just never really got around to it. Yeah, I think it's a combination of things. I think it's, it's something that I never really developed in my style. Um, I think it's not, it's not my strongest skill set as an artist. Like I, I think I'm good. I'm pretty, I'm, I'm good at doing things like quite realistic and I, I can definitely do like portraiture well. Um, but I think doing like the human figure is one of the more intimidating things for me. And I just, it's not, I think it's something that I could do, but it, I feel like it, it's never something that I kind of developed into my art style and have never practiced mm-hmm. as much. Um, yeah. I think it's something that, you know, that that's not necessarily holding me back, like from, from doing it, I would consider doing it at some time, but I think when I was first making the pieces, it was more, it was still like very science heavy. Like it, it was showing data and just what the data kind of told us. It wasn't there, you know, there's a deeper story to it for sure, but I was only telling, you know, a piece of this story. And so, you know, if I did a piece about Arctic sea ice or I did do a piece about Arctic sea ice and I, I chose to have Arctic foxes, like kind of my, visual in that piece to like tell that story and just like tell a story of how they were going to be affected by the ice melting and of course you know it should be in, in, in kind of implied in that story that this is something that humans have caused but I didn't mm-hmm. you know tell that whole full, full story out in the painting and it didn't include people um so so I guess for me that's just been my my style or my way to do it but I have been definitely thinking about um sometimes in my work incorporating you know people into it and I I think it's also a lot harder and it makes the story complicated because I again like I I want it to be known or it is known that this is something that you know we we have caused and are causing um and have responsibility for so um I'm not exactly sure how to touch on that in these some of these stories or or for a lot of people like again hopefully it might be implied um However, I think, I think there are important stories to be told that involve people. And um, I can't remember if I mentioned this in your class, but when I, I created a, a new piece for the cover of, of Time Magazine this mm-hmm. July, and just given uh, the year 
and everything that was going on with Black Lives Matter, I was really thinking more about like, you know, the importance of, you know, including some of these human stories and, and thinking about the way that ways that people of color are more impacted by climate change and just thinking about um, the kind of topics like whether that's like clean air, or clean water, or kind of access to public lands or kind of all those topics, like should I, should I be thinking about including these stories for the cover of this magazine? And I, um, I think that's really important, but it was also um, hard for me to uh, figure out how to do because it was different than my, my style of an artist of not really including the direct like human story. Um, so I think that's important for me to still consider. And I would love to do a piece that talks about those elements because it's really important to make art about, you know, hard and powerful things. Um, but yeah, so I think this year got me thinking a lot more, more about that. And I think that I would like to do um, a series of works in the future that, you know, is touching on, on climate change and the way that different people are impacted by it and to have, you know, a mix of messages of, um, you know, this is the reality of what's happening, but here are messages of like, you know, our power or collective action and hope. And so I think a piece, I think a series like that will need people and mm -hmm. in doing so I need to be really mindful of how I, how I include people and how I choose to represent people in it. Yeah. So you brought up the Time Magazine cover, which I was going to ask you about. So belated congratulations. Like that's such an awesome opportunity to Thank be you. the cover artist for their climate issue. But um, I guess what was that experience like? And you commented that you did consider pieces that um, told the human story of environmental issues and climate change, um, but mm -hmm. the cover ends up not including people. So I guess what was the decision behind that? And just what was the experience like overall? Yeah, so the the creative director of Time, D.W. Pine, was the person that contacted me. And so he is responsible, like, largely for the covers of Time. And he actually had reached out to me the year prior because they do a climate change issue every July. And that he had decided to go in a different direction at that time, but had just told me, you know, I'm going to keep you in mind. And... So he did contact me again at the end of June this year, 2020. And um, he just said, like offered me the potential for up the opportunity again. And just said, you know, you can, are you interested? And was very clear, like if I made a piece that, you know, it might, it, it could be on the cover, it could be inside or it could not be chosen at all. You know, it's kind of just mm -hmm. like, you have to make it and decide. And they'll, and they'll, they'll have, you know, the full decision. And so um, I think just the pace, the pace of that world is very fast or that industry. And so um, I had, he contacted me and I had two weeks to like design the, to come up with my idea and make it, um, which is not, you know, a, a timeline I would accept from, um, uh, from, for most anyone else, you know, yeah. and, um, <laughs> but, but I understand for the pace of that world. And, um, and so my approach was, you know, just, he, he had mentioned all these different topics, you know, they were still thinking about how they, the focus of what the issue of this climate change issue was going to be. And so, you know, he'd mentioned, you know, the, uh, he'd mentioned kind of, you know, including something to do with COVID or how the, the amount of travel this year and things was going to lessen our um, consumption of carbon dioxide and like incorporating that into it or, 
incorporating data to do with environmental racism or justice and um and I I that was a lot to kind of try and think about and so I I feel like I just my approach is always to just do tons and tons of sketches and tons and tons of thinking and mm-hmm. um that's what I did and like tried to come up with a lot of different ideas and like go outside the box of my normal style as well you know always using data but um but maybe yeah including I did a lot of little sketches with people in them and so then I I sent him at the end of the first week um like three kind of prominent ideas and they all had like flexibility and they were all like very loose like rough sketches so I just sent him like kind of a a document of like these are my top three ideas um and two of them um did include more stories about environmental racism I think one of the difficult things for me about those stories as well was like the data that exists for those topics is, you know, obviously going to be a lot more limited and it's going to be on like a lot shorter timescales than yeah. kind of like the timescales I'm looking at for looking at, you know, just the purely like carbon dioxide rise and temperature rise and things. So I was having trouble getting those like kind of timelines to match up in my work. Um, but I, I think I came up with some, some strong like potential ideas. Um, but I think but he ended up he ended up choosing my my idea that just had kind of you know environmental and climate change data and I, I think that's because like that's the style of mine that he that that I'm the strongest with and that he um, had responded to originally in contacting me and so he he wanted to have that be the focus based on like the direction that they were tar- taking um, and so that made sense to me and and I'm not. I wasn't necessarily even the best voice on those topics either. So, um, so then I had about a week to, um, I had about a week to create it and, um, yeah. And so that, that was kind of my experience, but it got, it got really got me thinking and planning about like ideas I could do in the future that do, do touch on those topics. And it kind of got the ball rolling on, on those ideas for me. And I, I think the really important ideas to, to include in my work in the future. Yeah. This is kind of a random question, but how do you come under the radar of opportunities like that? Did you have to apply to anything or do they just kind of look around and see what artists are out there and then they reached out to you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, for me with opportunities, it's been a mix for that one in particular. Mm -hmm. Like that was just lucky, like they reached out to me and that, you know, like that can happen now and then. Um, But you obviously never, you know, definitely came out of left field for me and I think it, it helps that, you know, environmental art or like climate change art is, is like a growing field in art, but it's still like more of a niche field. And so um, I asked D.W. Pine how he'd found out about my work and he couldn't remember exactly, but his impression was, you know, he'd found about it, found out about it in an online feature of some sort. And I've done a lot of those now. And so that's just one really helpful may- way for me to get my work out there. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm definitely, you know, still very early in my career and and small as an artist, but like slowly growing. And I think, I think, yeah, he just been searching for climate change artists now that they're doing this like climate change issue every year. Um, and so, yeah, he just came across my work in some feature and had reached out to me. So I found that like that, that's also because I, I've had to pursue a lot of those features and found those opportunities for myself a lot of times you know, you put a lot of that work in and it feels like, oh, this is like, you know, progress is slow and this is, you know, taking this effort. And I, you know, I'm always trying to think of new ideas for how to promote myself or, you know, to jump to 
get further off the ground with my art career. But, you know, sometimes like something finally, you know, comes back to you and you realize the impact of the hard work you've been slowly doing. So that was one of those like rare times where, um, yeah, that you, you don't, you don't know you what's going to happen, but it yeah. Can, and, yeah, if you keep working at it. Mm-hmm. So what keeps you inspired to continue just putting in the work and doing all the effort, even if you don't see the immediate results. Cause I feel like, especially now, I don't know, many of us like the immediate instant gratification of just knowing things are working. So do you have any wise words of staying motivated and inspired? Yeah, I really like that because as much as I love creating art, it can still be really easy to let time get away from you when you're, you know, especially as someone who it's up to me to dictate my time with with art and to be responsible for getting work done and I think that I I have to be strict with myself and about my time and I'm really passionate about it and so that definitely helps but that doesn't always make it easy to be consistent and so I think that for me I just have to um keep thinking of what inspires me and so like for me I think about different art topics and I just have different ideas that I keep track of and um and in terms of like environmental stories and think about where where I want to go as an artist and what I want to achieve and like one thing that um I always kind of envision is like in the future when I have like a nice um big studio and I'm able to do um you know, have a solo art show and just like all of those things. Like when I think about that, it just makes me really happy or, you know, to think about my art making an impact, you know, and I, one thing I do is a lot of like school classroom visits with students on climate change and have them make their own data art. And that's been really, really inspiring to me to see it, kids connecting with those topics and connecting with climate change and understanding it, you know, better than some adults I know. And it's really, it gives me a lot of hope and it makes me want to keep making this art and getting it out there. Um, and sometimes it can feel like, oh, I'm just making art. That's not making an impact. But I think, I think that's, I think art is really impactful and that's why I'm doing it. Um, and most of the time I, I recognize that and, and the work I'm doing. So I think, yeah, I guess just to sum that up, I, it's for me, it's, it's keeping, it's keeping new ideas coming so that I have something that I'm working for. Because when I have, when I have goals that I'm setting for myself, then I'm inspired to work towards them. And I feel responsible, responsibility for working towards them. I have ongoing projects like that I have to get to. And it's never so clean as then with this project, now months the next, now months the next. It's like, there's always a bunch of different mix of things going on. And, you know, I kind of finished one, but I have another thing that I've already started and, and that's my new goal. And that's what's driving me, you know, and I have, you know, deadlines from someone else or deadlines that I've set. And um, yeah, I just, it's finding, it's finding things that you, you care about and um, making sure that you're going after them. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, so you mentioned working with kids and introducing climate art to them and, that they can understand the problem sometimes better than <laughs> adults can. Um, but how do you think introducing climate change art and doing that type of work with kids is impactful to the community and to you, but also to these kids and introducing it to them so early? Yeah, well, I think I found, I found first that like, 
Um, I've done a lot of classroom visits now and I, I really just started doing it um, seriously in like the last um, like year, year and a half. But I feel like I don't actually know, but I would say I've done like at least 40 in the last year. And a lot of that um, has been where I live in Maine, but there's also been a lot of schools that I've done remotely via video chat and teachers that have have seen, like I have an online curriculum about data art. And so like sometimes teachers will reach out to me about doing that, or they've just done that with my their kids and share it. Um, but so I think it really depends on where you live in the country, but mm-hmm. for schools in, in Maine, at least I can speak to more. When I go into these classrooms, like el- even elementary or like middle school students, they know about and understand, you know, at least some aspects of climate change. Like they are being taught that more in schools now, or more, maybe it's more from their parents. You know, that's something I'd like to learn about because it certainly should be in curriculums everywhere if it's not. And yeah. I think, you know, it's unfortunately the responsibility, it seems like of a lot of these teachers to bring it in themselves um, rather than a requirement. And so, um, but it seems like they're doing that and doing that work, that hard work. And so when I go in, I like to think that like, one, it's like hopefully a way for some kids to kind of like process kind of what's going on and like um, ask more questions about climate change. But I think by doing something that kind of incorporates like um, science and math and art, and then like, you know, I'll show photos of field work. So for students who are like kind of just interested in that and the animals or, you know, interested in the things I bring in, if I bring in gear, if I bring in like rock, cool rocks or, you know, there's just so many different types of things. It's my presentations, I feel like are really interdisciplinary. So yeah. I like to think that like, yeah, it's not going to connect with everyone. That's fine. But um, there's such a wide range that like, I can kind of see like certain, certain students like connecting with like certain aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think like, lastly, I can see it in the student artwork because I've, yeah, I've been sent a lot or like I've seen a lot of the, the student like data work and the things like a, a lot of times it's like stuff with animals, like, of course, but um, the things that they are showing in their art are really like emotional and like they come up with some really amazing ideas and I can just see the understanding, their understanding or interpretation of those topics and the way that they're, you know, choosing to illustrate them. Um, and so that tells me that these are, this is something that they care about and understand is impacting their future. Um, so with that in mind, I do, I do try to also discuss with them like positive environmental topics as well and like things that are being done that are you know helpful for our planet Mm -hmm. no that's really cool because yeah I mean I was in elementary school middle school only like 10 years ago and we weren't really talking about the environment at all we were saying a coral reef exists and that's it so (laughs) it's cool to see a shift in um I guess science education and how we approach it yeah. Um, so how do you feel like people's reaction to your artwork has changed over time, if at all? Um, whether that be, you know, like the opportunities you were talking about before with different features or just people reaching out to you through your website or your Etsy shop, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think I think I'm still like early enough in my career where I've mostly only, you know, heard positive things. Like I haven't had to like a few instances sure but like not much of someone reaching out to me because they don't like what I'm doing like so mm. I you know I'm sure there's plenty of people who wouldn't but like I, I haven't really heard those voices um I I don't I don't think it would usually bother me and I so I think yeah I think the response has been awesome because it's come from so many different types of people and um 
I'm really excited that, you know, a lot of scientists that I've worked with or interacted with, like also, you know, have shared my work or, or seen the value in it. So that's important to me that them, they, as scientists think that there's, you know, value in, in communicating their work the way I am. Um, and then, um, yeah, I've just seen like, you know, this like slow and steady kind of like increase where, you know, I'll get to hear from, you know, some, sometimes like I'll, I'll just hear from the student and like they're doing their like school research project like in the UK about my work and it's like oh I'm the art like I'm the professional art like you can feel like a little imposter sometimes like oh I'm the yeah. professional artist that you're you know researching for your school paper and it's just like really really cool to like hear that someone else was inspired by what you do I, those are definitely my favorite moments and um because I know I you know I feel like that all the time with uh, with with people you know that I do or don't know and so to be that person for someone is really awesome and I've um I've, I've been feeling really fortunate um, as I move slowly towards being a full-time artist that um, I'm getting all of this like positive, um, this, these positive messages and, you know, meeting, pe meeting people who are just as passionate about doing that, this kind of work. Yeah. Um, do you have any advice for people interested in pursuing um, art with some type of purpose? Not that just free expression is not a purpose, but <laughs> for some type of like communication purpose or specifically science communication? Yeah, I think from my experience, so I'm, for me, it, it like happened that I came up with like kind of an, like an idea or style that I felt like it finally like clicked and I'm able to keep making like artwork in that style. And I feel like it's something that's unique. I don't like know that that would happen to everyone, but I don't think that it has to. I, I think that for me, just coming up with something strong, like that used my, you know, used my voice, used my knowledge that communicated emotion really well was through lots of effort. And I, I feel like I always just try to um, engage with like whenever I'm making new artwork and that, that creative planning stage. I know for some people art is a little, is more, um, you know, it's just kind of what comes, like what you feel. And there is some of that with me too, but um, for communicating something like in a really particular way, I think that, you know, really putting in that work to plan your story is important. And um, think about the way that the like different elements can communicate, you know, in a piece and will communicate with different people. Um, and so for me, it was, definitely like just lots of time kind of making an environmental art in my case and trying lots of different ideas throughout the years and that's something I'm still doing is like well what what do I want to do in the in the future like a lot of my work has been topics that people would say is negative and I don't quite see it that way but I understand it and going forward in the future I want to include a lot more messages that are also about like hope and action and and so that's kind of my involvement is like always thinking about what is the story I want to tell and, and working towards um, making that story come to life somehow with certain elements. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you spend more time and or energy in the planning process then as compared to the actual execution of the painting? Yeah, definitely more energy, at least in the planning process. Mm -hmm. I, 
I feel like that period as well, like, in terms, like, in terms of, like, the actual hours sitting down, like, I don't, maybe it's, like, not as much time, but it, I feel like it can take me a few weeks, because, like, kind of new, new ideas um, for art can, can just take a lot of time and effort to come, and, like, you know, even if I know I want to make a painting of sea level rise, it's, like, okay, like, that could look so many different ways, like, how do I, you know, what day do I, do I want to use, like, what part of the world is it going to be, like, what is just the painting going to look like, and that, that Mm -hmm. just takes a lot of, kind of um thought and effort and so I feel like that's definitely the most difficult stage and just takes me it takes me a while to settle on something that I think is is um strong enough and um and then um the painting stage for me is a lot more kind of like fun and natural and it's Mm -hmm. you know there's some big decisions to be made and like um some parts that are tough but a lot of it for me like that's more the fun part because the decisions like a lot of the decisions have been have been decided and I can kind of just finally paint and create. Yeah. yeah. No, that's cool. Um, so where can people find you so that they can check out your art, check out your outreach and all of that? Yeah. So my my website is my name. It's jillpelto.com. Mm-hmm. J-I-L-L-P-E-L-T-O.com. And so on there, I have like my gallery with my artwork and you know, you can click on any of the, the pieces to, you know, read the caption about what it's about. But I also have connected links to all of the data that I use. So it's really just like uh, um, uh, clear what that is. And I also have like a, a tab on my website for some of the outreach that I've done over time, like whether that's with schools or organizations um, and examples of it and a link to the, the curriculum that I, I use with schools. Um, and then I also promote my art a lot on my Instagram, which is again, mm-hmm. just my name. It's just Joe Pelto. Um, and then lastly, I guess I, I do also use Twitter, especially for um, the science community. It's a, it's a really good like science news feed for catching, for keeping up with um, different important climate science projects that are going on. Yeah. And so I'm also there um, under Joe Pelto. Awesome. This is kind of a follow-up question, but how do you feel like social media plays a role in marketing your work and marketing yourself? Yeah, I think it, I think it, it's a really awesome tool and it plays a really big role. I, I don't have a huge following or anything, but it's still really helpful um, to kind of, you know, reach out to, you know, whether that's a couple hundred or a couple thousand people with like a post or a story um, and like, uh, using using that tool to um, kind of have a have a base to like kind of point people towards when you want to like communicate like this is what I do as an artist with people and and so if it's just to share my you know art on its own then definitely like to my website but I feel like Instagram allows you to like kind of personalize it and like get people mm-hmm. to really know you and I think I think the artists have really been using that in a powerful way because it can yeah it can allow them to see like who you are as an artist and you know, this is the project that you're working on right now. It's like kind of very, you know, frequent and immediate. And I think people find that some people find that really interesting. And I definitely do with with artists that I follow and admire. Um, and then I also use it um, to to sell prints of my work. And so I just I have an Etsy that's linked on my my Instagram and my website. And that it's just a cool way for me to share work with people too, and to have that platform to you know, not sell like extensive originals, but just provide people with um, nice prints uh, 
that look like them. Mm-hmm. No, your prints are cool. I've gone on to look, but your prints are awesome because you print them on actual like watercolor paper. So they do look, they look like the originals, which is yeah, awesome. Yeah, they're really, yeah, they're really high quality. I have some like, some like cards and stickers and things as well that are like kind of an, like a smaller, easier, more affordable option. But like the prints, mm-hmm. it's really, they're called like G clay when they're like a fine art print and you get them done on, you know, like a nice archival paper. And it just means like, the, the printers printers who do that are so good and they just make things like look, yeah, like almost like the original. Yeah, super cool. Um, yeah. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on yet but that you would like to comment on? Any parting words for everybody listening? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess thank you so much for this opportunity. And I am always happy to kind of connect with with people that are, you know, passionate about communicating climate change topics and I think they're you know that doing podcasts is one really other powerful tool to do so I think there's so many and it's exciting to see science communication growing but also like science communication that uses creativity in so many different ways and um and so I think that that's another thing that gives me a lot of hope is I think you know individual actions like this are are connecting with you know, a lot of different people and they're really making a difference in, in people's understanding of and like emotional, definitely emotional understanding of climate change. Um, and so I think that it's if, that, if that's something that um, anyone is interested in doing, I, I really encourage, I think it's really important. Yeah, no, you're right. It is really cool to see how science communication is changing because for almost forever science is very disconnected from the public and very elusive so it's awesome to see mm-hmm. how normal people anybody can learn about science now yeah agreed yeah well thank you so much for coming on thank you for yeah taking time out of your day out of your week to talk to me um i hope you have a wonderful evening yeah. thank you thank so you. much this was so fun Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and or learned something new, please share the podcast. Any and all engagement is so greatly appreciated. And if you would like to learn more about Jill Pelto, buy her prints, or interact with her educational materials, please visit her website, jillpelto.com. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you next time.